scattered, spacey Stacy, daydreamer, messy, unorganized, Phoebe Buffet. These are all nicknames and labels I have lived with my whole life. I own them. I wore them like a badge of honor, especially that last one. But inside, I actually felt a lot of shame, which is why today's episode means so much to me and hopefully others who have lived with the same labels. This is the Mother Plus Podcast, the show for main character moms who want to be more than just mom. Today, Steph, my good friend and co-host, is going to share with you what it feels like to feel like you've had a secret your whole life, that there was something wrong with you that you didn't want anybody else to know. Yes, Steph is going to talk about her journey to get an ADHD diagnosis in her 40s. She's going to share the things she's learned during her research and evaluation process about the differences between ADHD in women and girls versus the hyper little boy stereotype that we all grew up with. To all the daydreamers and the space cadets, the super smart and determined, but surprisingly messy and scattered, we see you. We are you. Let's talk about this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Mother Plus podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Springer, and today I am doing a solo episode about ADHD and women. And Stacy and I talk about this a lot because we've both sort of suspected that we probably have undiagnosed ADHD. I've been tossing it around for the last few years. And when I was a kid, it was never on my radar because, well, first of all, I think that we all started hearing about ADD in the 90s, right? And it was always like the naughty little boys who couldn't pay attention in class. They were distracted. They were disruptive. They couldn't sit still. Like those kids really stressed me out. Like I was a good girl and a good student. I sat still. I followed the rules and I got wonderful grades. And anytime my parents went to parent-teacher conferences, they would hear that my teachers just wished they had a room full of Stephanie's, right? Like I was a dream. I was quiet. I was good. But I had this secret, right? And my secret was school made me terribly anxious. I was anxious all the time. And it was mostly because I felt like I had no idea what was going on. Um, like there was a memo that I had missed. Everybody else understood the rules. And it was like, if you start watching a series everyone's talking about on Netflix, but you don't realize that you actually started with season two and had like missed all of this. That's how I felt all the time. And if I'm being honest, it's kind of how I still feel now. But when I was a kid, um, I would constantly be daydreaming in class. I would be writing stories or poems. I would be playing song lyrics in my head or tapping out syllables of words or just repeating weird phrases. I just like kind of felt like a weirdo. You guys, that's kind of the way I can describe it. But I would be lost inside my own head. And then um, then what would happen next was there'd always be this moment when you snap to when you're when you're back, right? You're back in your body, you're back in the classroom and you're like, I have no fucking idea what's going on right now. And those were the moments that I dreaded. It's like your cheeks start to burn with shame. 
um, your throat closes up, your heart is pounding. It's like the, I've been caught. Like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't know when I stopped paying attention. I don't know how long it's been. Um, I have no idea what's going on or what's expected of me. And I am about to get in trouble. And that would flood my entire system with panic. It was the worst feeling ever. And um, so a few of the things about ADHD, like as I've pursued diagnosis on and off over the past year or so, you hear from so many well-meaning people who are like, well, nobody can remember why they walked in the room. Like that doesn't make you special, right? It's like, I'm holding the pill bottle in my hand. Did I already open it and take my Zyrtec or have I not done? Like, I don't know. I know that that's something that's common, um, especially for women, probably women at midlife. I've not gone through menopause yet, but I've heard that that can really scramble the brain. Motherhood makes us all a little crazy, right? The fragmented attention or parenting project manager. Like there are lots of reasons, right? Where we're overwhelmed, Life is stressful. Like, of course, you can't remember why you walked into the room. But it's not just like this is a stressful season of life or life is hectic. One of the the things about ADHD is you have to have had symptoms your whole life or from since childhood, right? I'm not getting into the specifics of the diagnostics, but yes, I have always been like this, right? I have always been like this and I just kind of assumed there was something wrong with me. And one of the reasons I think I started writing my memoir is because I felt like I had this mystery to solve. Um, Why am I like this? Is there something wrong with me? (laughs) Like, how did I get like this? Are other people like this? And I think those are the big questions we all ask ourselves in our our navel-gazing existential crisis, why am I here, introspective moments. But like these questions matter, and so do the answers. And I think for most of my life, I've just assumed that I was like, maybe slightly defective. Like, sure, I'm good at some things, and there are some things I'm not good at, but the things that I'm not good at caused me to feel so much shame. The forgetfulness, yes, being so distracted. Um, I'm not a super tidy housekeeper. If you could see the desk that's in front of me right now. There's a method to the madness, sort of, but I am notorious for letting clutter accumulate. And it causes me so much stress. I hate it, but it's like I can't seem to do anything about it. I'd had enough conversations with people, including one of my best oldest friends, and had been following her journey with medication, and I'd been starting to read more. And I have to say, one of the things that has deterred me from pursuing a diagnosis are snarky comments like, oh, mm -hmm, that's right, I forgot you have ADHD, or things like things that felt dismissive, things that made me feel like I was overreacting or I didn't really know myself or I was just anxious or stressed. Um, the, the eye rolling, it's sort of like when I went gluten-free and it's like, oh, that's right. You can't eat gluten. Well, like I truly can't. Like I get sick if I eat it now. But like, especially at the beginning, I felt like I was some sort of like precious little being, right? Like, oh, you so sensitive, can't have gluten, you know. So last winter, when I went into my doctor's office for something unrelated, I was like, can we talk about ADHD? Because I'm pretty sure I have it. And like sort of, it's like when you decide you want to get your hair cut and 
all you can think about is cutting. And then finally you just like, you're like, I have to cut the bangs. I can't stop thinking about it. Maybe other people don't do that. I don't know. But for me, it was like that. It was like when I started to wonder if maybe I have undiagnosed ADHD, like I couldn't stop thinking about it and, and noticing things, right? And so when I talked about it with my doctor, she was like, yeah, it does sound like you probably have ADHD. Now, if you want medication, you're going to need to get a formal diagnosis. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't need medication. Like, I'm fine. Um, my entry into single parenthood has made me wonder <laughs> if maybe, maybe I'm not fine. Maybe now when there is so much pressure and I don't have another person to pick up the slack, a person who's maybe better at the things that I'm not good at, um, I might need some help, whether it's medication or whether I decide to go on, you know, those of you who are super science on woo might be like, don't take supplements, you idiot. They're not regulated, whatever, whatever. Or maybe I just keep reading all these books and podcasts and I learn some things about how to improve my executive functioning, how to structure my time and my house, whatever it is. I put it on hold, the diagnosis thing. Like my life had kind of exploded. I had to take care of my kids, their mental health and just surviving were the most important things to focus on. And then I hit fall and I had another wave of, you know what, I, I think it might be time for a diagnosis. I was probably three months into my divorce and I felt like I was failing every single day. Um, one day before I was preparing to go out of town for a working weekend, I hit my max. I knew there were dozens of things I needed to do, things I had forgotten to do, things I meant to do and then lost interest in. I walked from room to room doing record scratch choreographed pivots when I remembered what it was I had actually been doing when I decided I needed to clean out the car. But it was the milk that put me over the edge. Wednesday morning was milk day. Wednesday evening, I had a bad feeling that maybe I hadn't remembered to cancel the milk order. We'd already forgotten to cancel it multiple times when we realized we didn't actually need any milk, so we had a surplus sitting in our garage refrigerator. Eventually, we were going to have to throw some of it out. There was no way we could consume it in time. And I thought I canceled it, but I wasn't sure. Thursday, instead of walking to the front door, opening up the milk box on the stoop and visually assessing its contents, I thought I would check my app instead, as though I could spare myself the moment of shame. It said, items ordered should already have been delivered. Hmm. It was ambiguous, and once again, I put off going outside to check. On Sunday, I had moral support. I made my friend stand and bear witness as I opened the front door, gingerly lifted the milk box lid, and groaned with disappointment and a touch of self-loathing. God damn it! I yelled into the house. I should have brought the three glass milk jugs and pint of cream into the house instantly, dumped the contents down the sink, and returned the empty bottles to the cooler. I did not. Nor did I do it later that day. I kept thinking about it, then remembering something else I needed to do. After all, there was one load of laundry sitting in the dryer, a kitchen floor that needed to be mopped, a Costco Instacart order that was already five days overdue, and medical bills I needed to pay online. Fuck the milk. Then the milk fucked me. On Wednesday evening, it had been an entire week, and I couldn't ignore this task any longer. I made my youngest child stand nearby. I lifted the lid, and this time was hit by a horrifying sight, an even worse odor. One of the milk bottles had broken, and the cooler was filled with spoiled milk and insects. I wanted to die. 
screaming profanities, I called the children down to behold the sight with me. My oldest immediately started gagging. Why, Mommy? Why did you make us experience this? It's awful, I shrieked. We have to throw the whole thing right away. You're going to throw the whole cooler in the trash? She asked incredulously. No, not the cooler, but I have to dump the whole thing upside down into the trash, I said with determination. And I'm going to need your help lifting it. You think I'm going to help you with that? She heaved, walking away. Fine, fuck it. I gritted my teeth and hefted the cooler over to the garbage can, lifted the lid, and tipped the entire milk box upside down into the garbage can. Rancid milk debris splatting on top of a bucket my dad had thrown out. I realized this could cause a future problem with the trash can smell, but I had learned nothing from my mistake and hustled away from the trash can. I left the discarded cooler overturned in the driveway to dry out, shards of glass hidden underneath it. I couldn't stay on top of things. My father had set me up with a functional sprinkler system due to the browning late August grass. I was grateful but couldn't pay any attention while he gave me instructions, and I managed to remember to water the grass in the backyard exactly once in the two weeks after he left. We were late to a doctor's appointment. I spilled water all over myself, then upended my purse while bending over to clean it up. Coins, lipstick, and keys clanged onto the pavement. Credit cards flurried into the parking lot. I'd had it. I knew it was time to get evaluated. And then I have to tell you what came next, you guys. I called a place. I left a message. They called me back. A week later, I called them back. I didn't hear anything. Or did I? I couldn't remember. I don't think they called me back. I'm pretty sure they didn't call me back. How is a person who's struggling to get an ADHD diagnosis supposed to be responsible for the follow-up one after the next and the phone tag. And I left one more half-hearted message in early December and didn't get a call back. And I just had too much on my mind to remember. And then Christmas Day, everything changed. Don't forget mom's present, my brother texted me. I smugly acknowledged to myself the victory of having already placed the wrapped box in the shit-to-take-to-his-house tub by the door to the garage. Actually, presents, he corrected me. There are actually two gifts. The flash of panic and shame hit me head-on. When I opened the small box prior to wrapping it, the necklace nestled within had jogged my memory of what we'd actually purchased for her nine months earlier during a weekend in Santa Fe. I felt the niggling sensation that a scarf had been part of it, but that was the only box I saw in my closet. I was so proud of myself for rem remembering where the gift was, wrapping it, placing it by the door. But my confidence was clearly misplaced along with the second gift. Of course I had fucked it up. My closet was a disaster that I kept pretending didn't exist, along with the crawl space, downstairs bedroom, linen closet. The list went on. The expensive scarf that I'd lost was just one more tick in the ongoing tally of my failures. Hot tears of humiliation streaked my cheeks as I jumped out of the backseat of my parents' minivan. Just let me run inside and check one more time, I mumbled between more explosive self-flagellating remarks. I dashed past my confused dogs and proceeded to tear apart my bedroom closet, scooping up donation items and books I hadn't read, reaching above me to sweep my hand behind boots I hadn't worn for two seasons, making sure an invisible bag containing an inappropriately expensive scarf hadn't appeared since the last time I'd checked. It hadn't. When we arrived at my brother's house, I made a beeline for the kitchen to open my organic soil-tested sparkling rosé. 
Actually, that's a lie. I made my brother-in-law open the bottle. Opening a bottle of sparkling wine remains one of a number of tasks I have never done as a midlife woman, and it feels sort of like the statute of limitations has run out on acquiring this particular skill. Sort of like tying a knot in a balloon. Shouldn't I just accept that there are certain things I'm incapable of doing? I mean, clearly the list is so long. Popping a cork, changing a tire, following any type of assembly instructions. We ate our Christmas lunch before opening gifts. And I smiled tightly as my mom opened the small box, revealing the exquisite necklace we had picked out to accompany the matching missing scarf. My brother stood up and bent over the box, murmuring something about wondering if the scarf could be inside the box. I rolled my eyes. Generally, the scarves we buy for our mother are long and thick, suitable for fall and winter. But he lifted the foam cushioning under the necklace, and all six of us gasped as he revealed the missing scarf. Delicate and silk. Any recollection of its appearance had been soundly erased from my mind. It was elegantly folded and placed beneath the padding. I immediately burst into tears, cradling my face in my hands. I didn't ruin it, I blubbered. I was so sure I had screwed everything up because I'm so disorganized and forgetful and messy. We had a friend there who, if you're listening, changed my life um, in that moment there was so much validation. Um, she has an ADHD diagnosis. She began to talk about her symptoms and how they mirrored mine, what the diagnosis process looked like, what she had learned about it. And she connected me with, with her practitioner. And um, today is evaluation day. And I've arrived at this day sort of like, <laughs> it's coronation day. The windows are open, so is that door. Um, so I could probably write a whole ADHD parody about that. But after this conversation, um, I went down a rabbit hole and I started, I ordered three books. <laughs> so I, I have three new ADHD books and I started listening to this amazing podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. And I downloaded a handful of episodes that I thought would be good ones to start with because um, I was going on a plane ride and I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to these. I couldn't wait till the flight. So I decided I would start with just the first episode that talks about um, what how ADHD manifests in women and the host, one of the one of the characteristics she mentioned was fast talking, which, hello, are you listening to this episode? Um it takes so much effort for me to slow down my speech, but she talks fast and I would like, I would think, okay, I've got these, she said this, this, and this, and I'm scribbling everything down frantically, but I have to keep pausing and rewinding because by the time I get to number, she says number three, I can't remember number one. It's, it's crazy. So she starts listing, um, qualities of women with ADHD and talking about how the hyperactivity part, most women are either inattentive type or combination type. I believe I'm primarily inattentive, but she talks about the hyperactivity in women often manifesting as mental. And that sentence alone, the degree of mental hyperactivity I have wrestled with my entire adult life is astonishing. And I have always wondered is it this busy in other people's brains? I don't know because we'll never know what it's like to be in a different brain. I checked off nearly every indication that the Tracy Atsuka mentioned in this ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast, um, aside from difficulty with memorization, which is my superpower that probably kept me on the honor roll and really helped me mask a lot of my symptoms. Um, easily distracted by external stimuli, 
difficulty stopping interesting activities. See, the hyper-focus is a flip side. I could lose hours editing, writing, doing tasks that are interesting to me. Failure to follow through, particularly with less interesting tasks. Perfectionism. Losing track of time when hyper-focused. Attraction to organizational products, but difficulty with follow through. Hmm. A strong dislike for waiting in lines. A quick temper that is equally quick to be regained. Bored by small talk. Clenching the jaw. Symptoms of TMJ. Forgetting what you were saying mid-sentence. Repetitive body-focused behaviors like picking and tapping. When my friend had told me what smart girls with ADHD in particular struggled with, that was what sort of made my brain explode because there, there is a certain subtype of little overachieving, highly intelligent girls who mask their symptoms and fly under the radar because again, they're getting good grades and they're not, they're not causing problems. Um, Atsuka said the same thing in the podcast. She shared that increased intelligence causes increased compensation. Good grades are a false indication that nothing is wrong. And teachers may ignore odd or shy behaviors since you're not being disruptive and you're not failing academically. Superior gifts can mask invisible symptoms and chronic struggles with disorganization and forgetfulness. I think about how forgetful I was even just with helping with household tasks. I was a people pleaser and I wanted to do the right thing. But I could not remember that I was supposed to carry the laundry basket up the stairs or put my shoes away. I just was lost in my mind. Many of the qualities of inattentive type in particular resonated painfully with me, tuning out frequently, difficulty paying attention when people are talking to you, especially if it's a story that takes a while to get to the point. Oh my God. Um, excessive worrying, difficulty tolerating frustration, overthinking everything, daydreaming in school, being described as needy. Um, and then Tracy Otsuka explained that people who have inattentive type ADHD internalize their symptoms. They're hyperactive in their own minds, ruminating, which results in increased anxiety. There is a very high correlation between ADHD and anxiety, um, especially in women. And then she drove this point home that just made me literally shudder while I listened to it. These girls don't want to tell anyone. They don't want anyone to find out. I never talked about what it felt like to be inside my head. Um, she described this daydreamy quality and internal restlessness, talking about girls who presented like absent-minded professors. Um, she mentioned how often they were in their own little world, living inside their own heads, forgetting where they put things and what they were doing. But then she hit me with this line that brought me to my knees. Oh, these girls can't retrace their steps because they weren't in their bodies. And um, if you know me, and if you know um, the book that I'm working on about following my trails of breadcrumbs and retracing my steps, this resonated so much for me because I realized that this was maybe my earliest accidentally <laughs> achieved coping strategy, this subconsciously driven um, practice because I just got lost so much because I wasn't in my body. I was always inside my head. And as I continued down my research hole, I found an article from a few years ago in the guardian and just the headline, the lost girls just, yes, 
chaotic and curious, women with ADHD all have missed red flags that haunt us. And I do, I have missed red flags that haunt me. And not in this way of like, I want restitution. We didn't know very much about neurodiversity in the 80s and 90s. And, um, you know, every generation does the best with what we've been given, right? We all do the best we can with what information we have. I have information now that I didn't have then. And rather than looking back and thinking about years of my life wasted, um, I don't feel that. And um, I've read a lot about women feeling ashamed of their diagnosis. And um, I don't feel shame either. I just feel relief and gratitude because today is my <laughs> coronation day, my evaluation day. And I don't know if I want medication as much as I want validation or maybe even absolution. There's a reason why I'm like this. I'm not a bad person. Um, as I've learned about the dopamine deficiency of an ADHD brain and how there are literal chemical reasons why you aren't going to do things that you don't want to do. You're not, you're not an asshole. It is very difficult um, if you are living inside an ADHD brain to motivate yourself to do a task that you don't want to do. It's like how I put off the milk. It's like I don't like getting the mail, the, the clutter pile. And just having this awareness of, wow, I really struggle to begin tasks that I don't want to do. And again, that's one of those, oh, you're so special. I mean, who really wants to do, who really is like, yeah, I'm jazzed to take the trash out. There's, there's a line, right? Like nobody wants to do something they don't want to do, but there may be brain related reasons why it's harder for some people. And I think that that's maybe the greatest gift of midlife is getting to a point where you can say, you know, I'm going to understand myself. I'm going to understand where I came from, why I'm like this, how I got to be this person. And I'm going to make adaptations um, for my own system. So I had my evaluation today and I felt seen and understood and validated. And yes, I have a, a diagnosis now. I have ADHD. And I have a few different medications that we're going to try. I'm going to work with a therapist on developing some tools to work with my executive functioning challenges. It's going to be a process. There may be some trial and error involved, but um, I have some answers and I have a path and I could not feel more relieved and more grateful right now. I will let you know more about what happens in my journey next. And Stacy and I are going to talk about ADHD through the specific lens of motherhood, because that has been another big puzzle piece that has resonated deeply with me as I've been researching and, and learning more. So if you are a woman who thinks you might have ADHD, if you were a daydreamy little absent-minded professor who's struggled with inattention, distraction, hyper-focus, forgetfulness, don't dismiss those characteristics as this is, you know, just the way I am or life is just overwhelming. You, you might benefit from learning more about your, your brain also. So thanks for joining me, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have you seen Steph's cloud room yet? As in the room where her 12-year-old daughter 
took the insides of her massive Squishmallow collection and piled it all into an extra room in her basement. Or what about the video where I pose the question, if you are a messy person, how do you teach your kids to be clean? It's all happening over on our Instagram at mother underscore plus underscore podcast. Please follow us there if you want to further the conversations we start on this podcast and know that you are not alone in your main character motherhood. Again, that's mother underscore plus underscore podcast. As weird and strange of a world that it is, that that's how we connect. That is how we connect. And that is how I've been able to get to know so many listeners just through interacting over on Instagram. So check us out. We will see you over there. 